0: Welcome to the Exponential Minds Podcast.
1: The research, development, launch, and
0: growth of new technologies is creating incredible momentum in the modern world. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he talks with the innovators in the Exponential Minds that are tackling some of the biggest problems and creating solutions that are propelling humanity to the next
1: level. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Exponential Minds podcast. My name is Nicholas Badminton. I'm a futurist that works with clients around the world looking at the next five, 10, 20 plus years into the future to help them build more resilient futures today. And in today's episode, I'm incredibly excited to speak with someone I connected with a couple of years ago in South Korea, when we were doing work together uh, for the United Nations Resilience Frontiers Initiative, and it's Lose Damhoff. And Lose Damhoff is a futures literacy expert. She designs, develops, and facilitates so-called futures literacy labs, collective intelligence knowledge creation processes across the globe at the challenge and raise fundamental questions on leadership, migration, climate change and technology. In 2018, Loos and her team at Hanza uh, in the Netherlands uh, got rewarded with a UNESCO Chair on Futures Literacy for their work on researching the impact on futures literacy and the design principles of futures literacy mm-hmm. interventions. And in Loos, it's been a while since we've spoken. I'm incredibly nice. excited to have this chat today.
0: Thank you so much, Nicholas. I'm super excited as well to be here with you. It's been yeah, a while,
1: and, and, you know, we, we met uh, and we met in South Korea. It was, uh, I think, like two years ago, almost. Uh, al- 20 almost,
0: years in COVID years, right?
1: Yeah, yeah 20 years in COVID years. Um, uh-huh. But we, we were down there and we were working with Yusuf Nassif and his team. And it was really cool. And it was like, you know, this exciting week-long process with 100 designers uh getting together but what what i really like to do on this podcast is sort of get an idea about your journey of how you became sort of this futures literacy expert and i mean you're quite prominent in in the academic community there there in the netherlands and obviously the world so so tell us how you got there
0: well, I was uh, before I became uh, involved with future literacy, which was about like more than five years ago, uh, I, was, um, I was a senior lecturer on 21st century skills. So I was already really thinking about what kind of skills the students need in today's and tomorrow's world in order to deal with uncertainty and to prepare them for a future that didn't exist. That was always my tagline. But then I always thought to myself, for the future that doesn't exist, I mean, no future exists. So what is actually, what am right. I talking about? So, so I was thinking about how can I um, help students to um, deal, cope, or maybe even appreciate uncertainty. And I never quite knew how to do that because it seemed like a, a tagline. But, and then I approached, oh, that, and then I encountered future literacy through a, a talk by Riel Miller. Yeah. I had a future literacy UNESCO at a symposium and I thought immediately, I think this is, this is it. There's something there that, that there's this capability that I think students need to learn. So luckily enough, um, when I heard them, I didn't have uh, as a, you know, as a, a lecturer at the university, I didn't have a lot of time or extra money. Uh, but I won an award a few weeks after that, a national award with some funding attached to it. And I knew immediately, this is what I'm going to do. Cool. So I contacted Real Miller UNESCO uh, saying, uh, I won this award and I want to work with you and I want to apply this to higher education, this, this future literacy. So I flew to Paris, uh, met with him for five hours uh, in his office. And I remember it was one of those transformative experience, you know, that you will always remember for the rest of your life. It's like you're stepping over a threshold into a new unknown territory, of so much knowledge and exciting adventures ahead i didn 't understand word i mean it was very hard for me to grasp what it was future literacy, right. but I knew intuitively this is something really, really exciting so um so I went back and I thought, how can i I need to learn everything about this and I just and I have to find a way. To make it applicable for students in uh, in their internships and projects and work, and so I started this um, a project. Uh, you know, gather a team, and uh, yeah, two years later, uh, we got a UNESCO uh, chair for our work on that. So the moment I started working with futures, I there, and I started to imagine my own future in this work. Yeah, there was no way back. I just had to um, had to pursue this, and I devoted since then all my time to um, training students and move beyond. So beyond the university on a global platform, um, consulting global organizations, companies, et cetera.
1: It's so. interesting, isn't it, how futures and foresight work? Feels like a calling. Like you get to a certain point <laughs> in your in your career, and you might have yeah. been doing strategy or creative work. You might have been a mm-hmm. researcher. You might have been working in machine learning. I've chatted to tons of people in all these areas, yeah. and you wake up and you realize that everyone thinks about the future. Some people yes. might only consider that you know planning their vacation for later in the year is is, yeah. is is the extent of their futures, but some people are wondering, you know, what's going to happen happen to my children you know exactly. what's gonna happen when I get older right so it's this this awakening right and yeah I-
0: yeah yeah I um uh, yes I completely I, I think it is this awakening and I, I think it has something to do with this excitement if you're an explorer by heart so I think there's a distinction between that the you know, fact that everybody uses the future we call the phrase using the future because right. The future does not exist, so we they only exist in our imagination and when we anticipate. So when we're using her, what we're actually doing by anticipating and imagining futures, uh, we can use those images to re- to rethink in the present. And you're saying you're you're, ta- you're saying that as well in your your intro, is that uh, when we anticipate that has um, uh, we use our imagination, but it has a profound impact on how we behave and think and act in the present. Right. So how can we have a get a better look? You know, kind of better understanding of how anticipation works and how we can use futures. So so since everybody's doing that when you're, you just, um, uh, babies do it as well, right? When they start to cry, they're of being fed, uh, but even, you know, organisms. So everybody's using the future. But to become a futurist, um, you can argue that everybody's a futurist, but to become, to really devote a lot of your time on this, I think it has something to do with this. This calling of the uncertainty and this exploratory nature of things that it's just really, really exciting. And then it feels, yeah, like a calling, as you say. It's a, uh, wouldn't call it a sect or a movement yet, but, uh, and it is growing,
1: yeah. right? It, 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 uh,
0: especially it, these times.
1: It, it, it's almost like we're, we're like the antithesis to nostalgia and the idea of short-term thinking, right? I mean, we're surrounded by it. I mean, if we look at governments, you know, whether it's federal government uh, at a national level or at a city level, <laughs> you know, we, we, we're, we're stuck in these cycles of short-termism, right? So, I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you work with companies and, and governments to try and break out of this cycle and so that you can give them the tools so that they're taken seriously as well, because it's difficult. If you're suddenly got this long-term view, everyone's gonna laugh at you, right?
0: Yeah, that's that, that, there's definitely a danger to that. I think one of the, uh, well, since I'm also a designer of these processes with my team, so we design very hands-on workshops, to acquire the capability of futures literacy. So if future literacy is a skill, a competency, yeah. how do you learn that? One of the ways to learning it is through these really hands-on collective intelligence processes. So what I, what we often do when a, a governmental uh, agency or a company approaches us or an educational institute, Say how can we rethink, I don't know, let's say technology, how can we rethink learning? We always uh, start by first collecting images of the future and making a distinction between probable and desirable. And we do this by placing, uh, asking them, really think about 40, 50, maybe even 100 years from now and that has a purpose because we want people to 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 leave the 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 the, the next five years mind frame a little bit right. in the beginning they're saying well it's really difficult and we said well yeah of course it's not the point whether it's easy or not but it's important to kind of leave that thinking behind now wow. and another um, important element of uh, um, asking people to imagine futures 50 years of 40 years from now is that it creates almost like even playing field. Uh, one of the prince key principles of design principles of these labs yeah. are, is that we need multiple perspectives, just doing it with a group of like-minded people within a team that has been working together for years is not going to stretch the imagination. It's going to stay pretty, you know, um, you're going to stay within your own, well, bubble is maybe a big word, but if we want to stretch the imagination, it's, we're trying to diversify futures then we need multiple perspectives and in order to create a safe space where expertise is become expertise of the present not the future because no one is an expert on the future right we're, we just don't know so that's why we ask people to really think about futures so f- further ahead and saying that um, when you engage in long-termism when you engage you're you're not only stretching the imagination but you also you know um uh speaking to a sense of empathy to have to place yourself and choose of a generation that's not born yet which is really important too so by by doing that we're trying to create this even playing field that even young people's image of 2060 or 2070 is just as valuable as a person as a an expert or a um, a professor um that works with futures today so I, I completely agree with you this idea that futures is only we can only make plans based on five years notice it's just too it's just too limited
1: yeah the, these cycles are strange and it, yeah. it's interesting you sort of say different ages as well i mean do, do you find that you can work with groups and encourage them to bring children and even you know older people into into the conversation as well
0: Uh, I think it's necessary. I think it's, um, uh, if we let go of the notion that there's only one future, if we really want to make use of the full complexity of the universe and really want to embrace uncertainty, I think it's important that we diversify futures. And in order to do that, we need to stretch our cognitive flexibility to imagine both. And if you need different perspectives and, uh, just to understand that there's not just one future, um, in order to overcome what we call the poverty of imagination. If we're just letting one perspective put one dot on the horizon, as that's the future, then we're gonna end up making the same mistakes in the past. So we need to put different dots on the horizon. We need to open up that horizon. In order to do that, uh, to really rethink uh, decision-making in the present, you need multiple perspectives. So an older people has a very different relationship to the future than a younger person. And because if you take it into long-termism, like 40, 50 years from now, it's all equally valid. Right, because they have different stakes at it. You have a different stake at that with that uh, um, with that future. You have a different relationship with it. So yeah, I mean, obviously, it depends on the context uh, in which you have these workshops. But um, the more the more diverse it is, the better, because that really forces us to really rethink and uh, look at this from a different angle. So yeah,
1: did do you see a, a certain amount of. Uh you know, uh, clients coming coming from a particular industrial sector or or a part of government. Are, are there some sort of leaders in this space? And it's like, okay, we work in X industry and therefore we're, we're more likely to get on board. I mean, we know the RAND Corporation in the US did a lot mm-hmm. of nu- nuclear war scenarios planning and a lot of that mm-hmm. and the Institute from the Future in the early 70s and that sort of, you know, sort of ignited the whole foresight community as it were into a strategic discipline. But yeah, I mean, are there are there some people out there? It's like, oh, you know what? Eight out of ten calls are from these people, or whatever.
0: Well, maybe if I just explain a little bit more about what future literacy is as a sure. capability. It's um, it's a capability that helps you um, uh, use futures, imagine multiple futures to identify the assumptions that we make about futures. So every time we think about it and you pointed out, everybody thinks about the future, everybody uses it. We always do that based on assumptions, right? So right. we can say, yeah, it's a fact that the sun comes up every morning or that, you know, we all run the sun, but it's still an assumption that tomorrow morning it comes up again. Right. So even if it, it's almost a certainty, then still I'm making an assumption based on certain facts. So, um, If I look at my weather app and look at data, it's going to rain, it's going to freeze, and I'm taking an umbrella, put on a hat, that's a pretty safe, innocent bet to make based on an assumption. But if you're making long-term decisions and if you make policy and if you're setting out a long-term goal based also based on certain assumptions and you are not aware of it, it actually becomes a lot more risky. And that's why it's not about saying assumptions are wrong. It's just it's important to be aware of it. And that's why imagining even absurd futures, uh, a weird or even a dystopian future that you're, you're gonna, that you're writing about, is feels to people a little bit like a little bit of a gimmick, like why, why would I imagine all these multiple futures? It feels unrealistic. I would say it's unrealistic to imagine that there's only one or become attached to only one. So in certain industries, then yeah, that part's becoming aware of the assumptions that you make can sometimes be confrontational and even a little bit uncomfortable but i think it's important because if we're just if we're only extrapolating our our knowledge of the present to the future and betting on that i think we are overlooking the things that are really important to us and we're overlooking the 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 yeah you know, even some of the weak signals the things that we are sensing now around us that are emerging around us but we're not seeing we can't make sense of it because we're following one prediction or one uh, particular future image. And I think that is uh, risky.
1: You know, when, when you engage clients and, and you sort of, you, you bring them into a space or whether that space is virtual these days during the pandemic or whether it, it's a, it's a real space, how do you get people to sort of warm up to the idea? How do you get people to shake off that, that idea that they're sort of stuck in this You know, in these confines and these constructs of, you know, policy and government, expectations, assumptions and whatever, because, you know, to prime these people to to suddenly get into the exercises takes some time as well, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think it's very important that you and you do this as well is that you do when you engage in the client. And again, I work at a university. So uh, most of my work is in educational institutes, NGOs and governments. Right? Right. So there's a few companies, but that's most of the work that we do. It's really getting a sense of the context and building a relationship and building a relationship of trust. Um, If you're um, uh, working with an organization that has a stake in the future for whether it's Google, Microsoft or the government uh, of the Ministry of Education in Vietnam, in whatever, whatever you're, you're betting on investing in something it's important to understand the context of which you're operating in so it's important to to you know create a safe space and also saying that um, uh, before we entering uh, um, you know asking people to identify these assumptions that they have to you know make it understand that everybody uses it we do it all right. the time and it's right. not wrong but you know if we only bet on planning and preparation then we are not developing our sense for emergence and our sense for the unpro- uh, 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 um, uh, uncertainty and unpredictability so i think creating a safe space is incredibly important and that happens when you're also inviting other people with uh, even get artists or um you know just to say that this is a, a mental exercise it's not meant to shock anybody or make you feel bad but understanding the context that's with any innovative practice and you know this uh, probably more than i do is that you're entering if you're working for a company that has a certain set of ways to challenge the status quo it takes time and um you know, uh, and it's about building relationship and trust. Ultimately, yeah. we learn in relationship to others.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. So I, I, I was sat on a stage, and this is about four years ago, and uh, chatting about um, the future of policy, and there was a bunch of public administration folks here in Canada. And there was about 300 people in the crowd. And uh, there was a conversation about, you know, how do we spark innovation in our company? And how do we, you know, how do we find those things that we we can't necessarily see today? And I turned around to the audience and I said, how many, how many people in the room bring children into the boardroom to discuss new ideas? And one, one woman put her hand up at the front. I was like, okay. <laughs> I said, I want to ask you another question. How many people in the room bring elders, you know, people that are retired, you know, not board, board members or chairman or anything like into like design sessions and, you know, boardroom meetings. Yeah. Same woman put her hand up and I was like, yeah. okay yeah. can you tell me who you work for and what you do she goes yeah i work with uh, the first nations in canada i work with the indigenous populations yeah. Yeah. And, we, and we know that there's value in yeah. the thoughts of our children and the thoughts of our elders especially because the perspectives they give are, are fresh based in experience and wisdom yeah. or based in 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 sort of naivety that's hugely valuable and it's like it, there was like this spark that went off in the room um i don't think anyone else were going away and inviting their kids into design sessions which was a problem because you know we, we've created this unsafe environment within companies but i mean when we were doing some planning for this chat you were talking about colonization of, of futures and ideas right. and i mm-hmm. think you know going from an indigenous idea of Bringing everyone to the table, and their idea as well about thinking about you know, seven generations ahead, mm-hmm. seventh generation futures. I think it was the Iroquois and the Haudenosaunee, um here in Canada. They they do that. They look ahead 175, okay. 200 years about the decisions they're making today. Right. I mean,
0: yeah. How yeah. does that
1: play into things and the idea of colonization? Because we hear that a lot in the foresight futures world.
0: Yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, for me, it really speaks uh, uh, this idea that if you're, if, uh, that uh, overcoming poverty of imagination, right? If we do not stretch the imagination, that other people will feed us images of the future and therefore are colonizing the future. Right. So um, there's this um, uh, Nigerian proverb that I uh, I'd like to quote, which is that unless we teach the lion how to speak, the hunting story will always glorify the hunter. And it's been taught by my friend, Bayou Kamalafe, poet, philosopher, activist. Uh, And what what we often do is we're thinking, okay, so we need another perspective. So let's teach the lion how to speak. But then again, we're making a mistake because we're teaching the lion our capability. What uh, instead we should be doing is reconstruct the story altogether. So look at the narrative in itself. Who has started this narrative to begin with? Who placed that dot on the horizon? And are we really uh, are we really going to let a few people colonize our futures that are that is meant to be for all? Right. So, I think that is that is that is really important to understand that um, yes, different voices and different perspectives, but also have the courage to deconstruct and reconstruct certain narratives. And sometimes these narratives, Nicholas, are. So they're so embodied in how we were brought up in our culture, in our land and how we approach things right. that sometimes talking about it, like in a cognitive or verbal way is not enough. You need body work or arts or even music to kind of let go of these uh, strongly held narratives. And so, yeah, and even children's, their creativity, their playfulness to really challenge that because sometimes it's so ingrained in us that it's hard to let go of. So I think it's decolonizing futures are uh, extremely important from a diversity perspective and a belonging perspective. But it's also really important to really come up with different ideas on how to deal with these times that we're in, because as COVID has taught us anything is that we cannot rely on the assumptions about continuity that we used to, right? And I see that people feel more uncertain now Times have always been uncertain it's not more uncertain right. than it was before covid <laughs> it just feels more uncertain <laughs> right. because our assumptions about continuity are are challenged and um uh and i think yeah i, th- I think that kids uh uh, uh kids or ldp for all have a very fresh approach i completely uh, agree with that and that we should continue to you know uh question uh, um the status quo and question existing narratives yeah. and it- yeah
1: it's really interesting as well if we if we think about the decolonization of the futures we're we're almost saying like here's a room of four hundred people that means that there's four hundred futures, right um, mm-hmm. but very much if, if, if they don't organize into a way where there's ultimately fewer futures because of, you know, the way that the community operates and safety mm-hmm. and equality, equity, even,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: there's going to be absolute mayhem and chaos. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of wonder, you know, how far do you go with this, you know, the word futures <laughs> like plural, yeah. and how far do you bring it back into something that's practical and applicable?
0: Yeah. I think uh, I completely agree because after uh, um, um, I'm not saying that we should con- um, to be constantly open for emergence and uncertainty, I think if, if I would have to challenge the assumption that some will come up tomorrow morning, I'm not going to get anything done. So at one right. point, we need to agree on how to design things and how to move forward as a community. Absolutely. But right now, what we're doing right now is that we're often making decisions out of fear and we do not understand where the source of our fear comes from. Right. I work at the university. The moment COVID happened, what did we do? We moved all education online. Just continue not looking at the system, not looking how how can we make use of this. Let's just move everything online and hope that nobody gets behind. Okay, so what we're not doing is really looking at the situation that we're in and conce- view this as a learning opportunity in itself. And, that's, and then if we become aware of what we're overlooking, it would just out of fear, i afraid that students might leave behind then how can we ever reconstruct or rebuild, uh, 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 work on new futures together? So we absolutely need planning and preparation and designing and rethinking these things and coming to a consensus to move forward in decision-making process. Future literacy is not about everybody makes their own decisions and do whatever you want. And it's also not about making better decisions, but it's definitely about making better informed decisions. And that is, you need both. You need to plan and prepare for the future and you need to be open for that emerging part. So, and then come together and see and negotiate, constantly negotiating in relationship to others. I think that's very important,
1: yeah. And, and uh, this, this is the idea that you actually need to build out futures literacy as a capability in an organization. Not, exactly. You know, it, innovation failed because, for many companies, because they'd go, okay, we've got an innovation team. And the innovation team sit in this lab over there, and they come up with new ideas. And every sort of six months, they say, hey, we've got a new way of working. Try this out. And the organization goes, we don't know anything about this. Um, This doesn't seem practical. I'm not going to do it and Mm -hmm. it's it's a failed capability. True innovation is embedded in the organization. I'm working with clients and saying that foresight needs to be embedded, even simple foresight techniques of, you know, Mm -hmm. I talk about from what is to what if, just even asking yourself a question about what if the future is different in a certain uh, time horizon. Very simplistically, can completely change how you do like project planning or, or product absolutely. development, service development yep. and whatever, right?
0: Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Innovation starts within and uh, innovation starts with asking uh, uh, certain questions, open yeah. questions. And uh, I think, uh, um, uh, well, future literacy is a capability, which means that it takes time to practice. It's like learning how to read and write, right? So you 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 know, it, it for one person becomes incredibly empowering. The other person becomes really good at it. The other person just happy to construct new words. Or it's a, it is, but every capability requires practice and a different mindset, a different way of thinking. You you don't. It's not a quick fix. It's not something you can just put in a post-it and organize a workshop and that's it it requires you know courage and stretch your imagination but it can be done because once you step over that threshold you see wow there's this new way of thinking and then that's when the journey starts I mean and we see this more and more that I just finished this uh, concert, a project with Climate Kick, it's, uh, it's uh, from the European Union, yeah. with a consortium of six partners uh, that we helped the organization use future literacy in their deep demonstrations uh, conversations with their stakeholders around climate adaptation. And so they, were, they wanted to use it for their clients, but they also wanted to change within uh, the organization itself. And I think that goes hand in hand. I think that uh, you know, we need to practice what we preach that if we want to, uh, it's the same for us, Nicholas, right? I mean, we we need to, we're constantly learning and developing ourselves as well. And that learning approach um, um, helps us to keep, to stay open for whatever emerges. I think that is crucial. The moment we know what we think is going on, we uh, we study this and we work with this. And yeah, we're, we're, we're expert in this, I suppose. And at the same time, we're constantly involving and learning as well.
1: Yeah, and it, it seems like uh, it, it seems like us as 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 foresight um, practitioners and futurists and uh, educators, we're sort of outside of the normal world of work and the normal world of government. We're sort of these yeah. like lone wolf capabilities that jump in, you know, try and shake things up and give people direction and counsel, and then leave. I mean, are we going to get to a world where like every company in the world is going to have a futurist? You know, actually on the payroll. Call the futurist that's that's the way it's going to work i mean i i kind of wonder if it's going to happen like in the next 10 years or i just wonder if it's going to happen at all right
0: yeah th- well uh, who knows yeah <laughs> we can't re- well I, I think what people see now and i think COVID has really uh, done that and we were uh, uh, and i'm sure you agree with that is that all of a sudden people realize wow um you know, we this has really shaken us to the core. Right, things is really are really different. So, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna go back to normal? Are we gonna uh, uh, ja- a hijack it? You know, like a hack it almost. Right. Or is this as an opportunity to really rethink things. Right. And- and, that is, and that's when our work comes in, right? Is that it's not just about telling company, this is what the future will look like and you have to invest. It's about asking the tough questions that how do you relate to the future? Have you actually thought about it? And asking that fundamental question, what if this, what if that? What, is, uh, what are your real core values? What are you gonna leave behind? What do you want to maintain? What are you assuming to be true? And that, that kind of uh, guiding people and that mindset, that I think is really important. And whether that comes in, in the form of a job as a futurist in a company and consultancy, maybe, but maybe it just becomes that everybody goes back to school or maybe it happens, uh, uh, you know, person a uh, person, um, uh, that I don't know. But I think it's uh, I, I think people are finally um, seeing that, hey, um, things that I would, was taking for granted, I can't, I don't have that luxury anymore to take things for granted. And actually that's not a bad thing. You know, actually, that can actually be quite beautiful and complexity is not something to solve. It's something to appreciate and admire and uncertainty is not something to eliminate, but actually accept as a fact of life. And I think, and just to build on that and to use that to your advantage, I think that's a key skill. And as an educator, I think, we should start uh, having that mindset because I think it's a healthy approach to life, you know. So, um, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know what in 10 years of everybody's futures probably could be a booming business. So, yeah. you know, jump on, hop on the train now if you can. And I think we need to invest in education.
1: Right, and and I think that that's really important as well. I mean, and there's mm-hmm. lots of universities around the world, including Hansa and what you're doing mm-hmm. down there, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I've got friends that are studying for PhDs uh, down in uh, South Africa, a whole bunch of places, and yeah. e- even here, and, and uh, we got together a couple of, um, I think maybe even uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, maybe even last year, and uh, you were here with Riel Miller, you were doing like a futures yeah. literacy workshop yeah. with UNESCO, uh, uh, OCAD here. Um, there's yeah. something that I do want to talk about. And it's the idea, you know, there's resistance to this as well. You know, mm-hmm. we, I mean, we see it We see it a lot in America, right? We see that it's, it's, it's polarization, you're you know, left wing mm-hmm. or right wing and everyone's name mm-hmm. calling and people mm-hmm. want to see different futures and whatever, right? But like breaking through and going outside of just the realm of the US and looking at the world, how does how does you know resistance and activism play a part of this? I mean, you were um, you you're talking about uh, maybe creating a project called the Emergence Academy. And I really, I I really want to get into this because I, I I call myself a futurist and an activist. I'm the guy that upsets people because the future is inconvenient for for many of them, right? Or liberate them from, from the shackles that they have around the jobs that they have, or just help them think differently. But like activism is the standing up and being, having the courage to say what, what you think is the right way to think, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think. Yeah. Th- this is, is, is very close to my heart. I mean, it's it's a, a future uh, a project. Right. <laughs> but I've been I've been thinking about it for a long time. So that often uh, the projects, the workshop that I that I give, and I'm sure you have the same experience, that are only short moments in time. Right. It's an hour right. here, a couple of days there, etc. But since it is a capability, how can we make sure it's sustainable and it actually you give people the opportunity to practice and put that into place? And the Emergence Academy, I really like to really rethink the activism and agency in itself as well. Is that it's not it's not always about doing or acting or resisting. Sometimes it's also about you know not doing and being alert and sensing what is happening around us. And uh, and often we we feel the need to act if we feel a sense of urgency and i'm quoting my friend bio again that these are urgent times. times let us slow down in order to speed up but to really understand where our ideas of 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 action come from do they come from fear of uncertainty or you know it's what is the source of that so i want to create this this longer learning journey emerging learning journey where young activists or young students young leaders um can practice this capability to really make use of all the emerging phenomena that is happening around us. And that, uh, that yeah, I think that a lot of polarization and things that we are concerned about are about very short-term narratives and about a, a sense of loss of, of identity and, 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 and a fear that comes from somewhere. But if we if we move beyond that and really engage with people in the far future, I don't think we're very much different or far apart of the things that we really find important. So I also see this as a way to, yeah, to create this even uh, uh, almost neutral playing field uh, in the future where we can meet up and discuss these things. And I think it's important to create a sustainable learning, longing academy, a learning a space yeah. for young people to practice this because we really need different ways of doing and different ways of thinking and I uh, have to having the courage to do that now uh you know um uh when these people I mean whatever's going to happen in the future I, I I don't know I it's in my imagination but whatever is going to end up I don't think we should should be because of a lack of imagination and that's what I that's what I what I think is really important. So just to also rethink, uh, yeah, rethink activism. That maybe activism is not always about uh, pushing forward, but you know, also staying in in the cracks or staying in in the middle, and just really sensing what is happening uh, happening now. And sometimes by pausing and slowing down especially in times of urgency gives us an opportunity to really rethink what we're doing. Now so that's what I want to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's that's really interesting to me, you know, sensing building empathetic empathetic capabilities. Yeah. I mean, I've got a young son and you know, I hope that as as I as as we raise him you know, we build that empathetic idea. It's clear that he's already sensitive. Um, you know, but building that real empathetic sense of understanding and, you know, th- I love that quote, these are urgent times, let us slow down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I run at a million miles an hour. I get stuff done and I, I think that that's pretty typical and, uh, you know, get the research done, do the report, deliver the report, whatever. What, you know, I think that that's a really important message and uh, and I think that the the whole discipline of futures literacy for uh futurism mm-hmm. is, is around some some slow thinking in fast times in a way right
0: yeah exactly well think about your you had to rethink your own job yeah. right in the midst of covid and you took it as an opportunity to to you know to yeah to rethink uh, uh, your work and how you would do things and catch up and just in a way this this situation has forced us to slow down and just to uh you know, uh, uh, besides thinking beyond COVID is extremely important, but it's important because it gives us a sense of what we find very important. And if you look around and you think that, hey, what was I assuming to be true? In my case, I was assuming that traveling always involved physical mobility. Right. Uh, now I can't travel anymore, but it's been an incredibly adventurous year. has right. an incredible exploratory and the biggest journey that I took was sitting in UNESCO's head office with Riel Miller, stepping over the threshold and exploring this incredible, you know, this this wild garden or garden jungle that I couldn't make sense out of. That was an incredible trip. And it would just happened in my imagination. So, and that, I think that is, I would say that, that those are the skills that are just very important. They're not, yeah, I think it's uh, instead of, Really becoming too attached to certain futures, I think it's important that we let go of that and uh, embrace the unknown instead. I think it will be, it will mean that we'll be very exciting times ahead.
1: Well, exciting times ahead, Lois Damhoff. It's been uh, fantastic catching up and to capture this conversation for the podcast as well. I mean, I, I really loved working with you, part of part of United Nations, and I saw you with the UNESCO work at, at OCAD. And, hey, this, this isn't easy work, but at the same time, it, it's really it's interesting and vibrant and empathetic and it's design and it's, it's redefinition of of what could be. And, you know, we're, we're just small specks in the uh, fabric of time of the universe, but you know what, like it feels raw, visceral, and time kind of slows down when you're in a pandemic in a way. Um, But you know what, soon it will be 2023 and everything will seem very, very different. And we'll be having a beer somewhere in Holland and it is going to be a good time. So, so Lois, I'd like to say, thank you so much. For your time today, and uh, for, for joining us on the Exponential Minds podcast, uh, can you uh, let us know uh, what what what's next for you? What's happening?
0: Well, what's uh, what's happening is uh, in a couple of weeks I'll be doing a future literacy lab for uh, the government of the United Arab Emirates. On wow, a uh, high end wow. global uh, um, government leadership course. So that's really short term. But what's next? I will. I'm really excited about designing longer term learning spaces. For students to uh, require future literacy, and um, I'm slowly building uh, building that capability, and uh, okay, one by one, building the cap- cap- capacity by building the capability.
1: So, yeah, and we'll put links in the description to where you can get uh, contact Loes, uh, find out yes. a little bit more of her work at uh, Hanza, and uh, yeah,
0: if you want to go to training, we train professionals, teachers in house and just online. So uh, please, uh, yeah.
1: We'll link to that. Los, thank cool. you so much. I'm going to chat to you way more often than we than we have been, uh, but <laughs> but th- thanks very much.
0: Thank you, Nicholas. Was a pleasure.